Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome guys, this week's episode of Heavy Metal Tones with me, your podcast host, Tony Evans. This week's episode is going out just before Halloween, so I thought I'd make this my Halloween special. Last year I did a two-part series of The Devil in Music. This one's going to be just a one-parter. It's, um, as you can tell by the title, it's called Selling Satan by the Pound. Um, A nice play on my favourite, one of my favourite Genesis albums, Selling England by the Pound. Um, it's a two-parter, so the first part of the show will just be, I'm going to chat, um, stay with me, we're going to chat about um, the devil in music again, and Satan, and selling Satan, um, and then on the flip side, I'm going to give you some of my um, real-life paranormal experiences. I've had a lot in my life, I am um, blessed or cursed, uh, some might say, with um, like some small small abilities to see these things. Um and some psychic abilities as well. So it, it is just something that I've had all my life. Um, I'd like to share them with you. You might enjoy a quick scary story or two. Um, it might make you think of the ones and uh, think times you've had that were slightly odd to you. Um, I know it's got nothing to do with music, but it's Halloween and hey, it's my show. So let's open up with Selling Satan by the Pound. Um, I had a really deep th- thought about this. Um, you know, there is the old adage in, in TV in TV that sex sells, okay? Um, and clearly it does, because the one thing all human beings have in common um, is procreation or or the fun of trying to procreate, okay? Um, so I then thought, in music, what sells in music out apart from sex? Of course, sex sells in music. We know that. Um, otherwise, the Britney Spears of this world and the uh, and so on would not sort of sell millions and millions and millions of records. I mean, let's be honest, they're not selling on their musical abilities now, are they? Um, it's about what's, you know. Anyway, let's not go, let's not go down that track. I don't want to go down that route and, and get myself in trouble. Um, so, Satan, and I don't mean Satan as in a devil horned you know um the goat of mendez um sort of that aspect of selling him 
or it or or they or them because they are legion um as uh, uh, for the music i mean the it's, it it's the concept of it isn't it guys you know um uh, the last so i reckon maybe in the last 5 to 10 years the the rise of um the uh, influx and enjoyment or oh, sorry enjoyment of um serial killer documentaries i mean my daughter listens to a podcast it's called my favorite murders um check it out it's very good um you know um sort of uh real life murder podcasts real life murder programs um uh, and and you know even from as far back as i can remember when i used to watch wire in the blood um with my wife uh, uh you know back in the sort of mid 2000s something maybe mere mid 2000s um, you know, that sort of, that, that, that sort of thing um, coming through. The Americans do it very, very well. I mean, they have the most amount of serial killers per capita in the world, and so they, they, do, they do tend to um, focus quite strongly on it, on their crime dramas. Now, we get into a grey and moral area when I say that um, just because you, if you murder, uh, it's not necessarily being... I mean, yes, it's an evil act, um, but it's not... An act of Satan, is it, um, as such? But there is this, this there is this um, little bit of our our musical scene, particularly in the in the heavy metal um, community, where um, and I and I really honestly, this comes to I'm a very good example of this. Um, it's like taking. Um, I'm not going to say I don't know. I've never taken hardcore drugs. I'm not condoning it or, or, or saying do it. But I get this, fee- you know, some feelings. You know that if you if you get um, acclimatized to something, you want it, and you want to get that more sort of that new feeling again, that hard feeling again, that high again. And I think the same with um, heavy metal for me is that as I've grown older, um, the reason I've pushed more into the sort of extreme. Um, metal communities because I, I'm looking for that that um, I don't know if it's a shock value but I'm looking for that that um, moment of of, of what, hey, what same way I felt when I first heard Venom or when I first heard Iron Maiden or when I first heard Judas Priest or or even to be honest even when I first heard the Sex Pistols or the Damned you know I'm, I'm looking for something I've been I think I've been searching for something to, to reunite that for a very long time and that's why sometimes I do tend to sort of push in towards those extreme music pardon me those extreme music genres and um, I think that's where um, why um, the haunted one oh Beelzebub um, or you know Nick uh, um, whoever, whatever, whatever you want to call him uh, I'm sure his best friends call him Steve um <laughs> Um, imagine, I don't know, just a different story. Anyway, um, people are looking for that thing that's a little bit more extreme. I mean, you know, in the punk era, people were going to Gigi Allen, um, you know, repulsive that it is that he was, they were doing that. Um, you know, and then of course you went in, you moved very quickly into all your sort of extreme noise terrors and your, um, you know, uh, napalm deaths, but they were not. They were just 
a barrage of noise. Whereas when Venom sort of, and, and not just Venom, but Satan and, and Black Sabbath, if we want to go back that far, and, um, you know, even bands from the 60s were, were, were pushing um, the satanic side. I don't think it's too, it's not to shock because now in 2022, uh, anti-Christian statements are not shocking anyone. Um, they might, they might, you might have a problem selling um, some records in certain states of America, but it's not shocking anyone, is it? Not really, not now, because people, you know, um, people's either so strong in their faith that it doesn't bother them, or they're so blasé in their lack of faith that they don't, it doesn't care either. Um, I sort of sit and straddle that path slightly myself. But as I was going to go back to where I was going back from, so um, people looking for the extreme, looking for more and more extremity. And, and the way to do that in, in a musical or, or an artistic form is to use something you already know well or you can tap into easily. Um, and of course, um, uh, the devil, Satan, demons, um, sacrifice, and eternal damnation whatever is all it's all there it's easy to find it's easy to write songs about it's easy researchable um some of the the really scary black metal is actually genuinely well researched so um waytain um i think behemoth you know possibly some king king diamond um because he's a genuine satanist um, and that can be genuinely quite unsettling and quite unnerving uh, in its imagery. But it's really, it's just what we're doing. When I'm saying we're selling Satan by the pound, it, it's just poking, it's like my old dad used to say, it's just shooting fish in a barrel, you know, um, bobbing for apples, razor blades in, as someone also once said. Um, it, it's, it's not a difficult thing to do. And it's going to sell you lots of records, um, in, in communities where teenagers, and it is plain, let's be honest, it's teenagers and, and, and um, early 20-somethings want to really, and pardon my French here, want to fuck over with, their, with, the, with the older members of their community. So, you know, it, let's imagine, and I've got listeners in America, so in the Deep South, there's a very, um, let's say Texas in the Deep South, when people were very religious, and and very pious and that's you know good on them that's fine that's what they choice their life to choose and lead um but i don't know little johnny smith decides that you know he doesn't want to be a part of that and and his parents are you know he's going for the teenage phase where am i at teenagers um you know they just want to rebel um as we all did and um so what do they do they they grab the nearest thing that causes the most distress to their elderly, the elders of the community, and that's um, disrespecting the church and authority. And um, I think one of the key to um, satanic imagery and music is not always about um, the obvious. A lot of it is about disrespecting um, um, the laws and community, and the laws of the community, I should say. And being rebellious and anti and 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 anarchistic, 
Um, there's a good reason why John Lydon wrote a rhymed antichrist with anarchist. I mean, it's a terrible rhyme, but he did it, didn't he? Um, and it, it, they sort of go together hand in hand because to some members of uh, of, uh, of the elderly of the community, or even the younger people of the community, they, they see anarchistic um, sentiments as an antichrist sentiment, anti-pope sentiment in some as well, um, which is sort of not really the point but I can see where they're coming from but as I said so they grab the nearest image they can get and let's get a let's get a you know let's get invert let's get a pentagram with some made up I don't know symbols add a image of of uh, the goat of Mendez um, you know maybe some other sort of ancient demons that um, they found online on some forum um, you know, write incomprehensible lyrics over a a tedious tritone, cold um, and uninspired guitar and drum piece, and away you go. All right. Now I'm not that's me generalising terrible black metal because there is some terrible stuff out there. But we, this, that's a different podcast. So I don't going to talk about that now. I just want to say how how easy it is. Um, to bring um, unholy, the unholy name into music. Um, and rock and roll is the best way to do it. And I'm sure that a um, hundred years ago, when jazz, uh, or a bit more than a hundred years ago, when jazz was um, prevalent, I was listening to a really good um, documentary on the history of jazz, actually, on the World Service, <laughs> how old I am, um, on the BBC, very good. Uh, and you know, there were people out there that thought that um, the proponents of jazz were invoking the devil um, because they were uh, creating lasciviousness and lasciviousness and um, sexuality and sweaty bodies and moving, the, you know, and moving in a way that was considered sexual and and, and not um, correct. Uh, and so they would equate that to the devil. Now, I'm absolutely sure. That the when the Beatles played um, in America, there were in the there were states in America where they thought that the Beatles, because of the way they moved and the way they, um, in you know, wh- women threw themselves at them like Elvis, that they were also um, in league with the devil. They just didn't use the imagery uh, because they didn't need to because the the shock factor of the of of Satan in music was there in the music itself. I think. The music itself now in the extreme metal scene is not really that terrifying. Um, I mean, I've talked to you about this many times on the podcast. I do remember vividly, vividly walking home with Venoms at War with Satan on my stereo, on my headphones and thinking this was the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. I do remember walking past a church, as I said before, listening to, on the day of release, on cassette, listening to um, Power Slave and thinking, oh dear. Um, I probably shouldn't. Although, even I mean, now I think about it, there wasn't much satanic imagery on Power Slave. It's mainly paganism. Um, again, don't use that term around me. I don't like it. Um, but you know, it um, for for a thirteen-year-old boy, it was quite scary. So now the music itself doesn't do that. You put on some extreme music of it now. It's either it's either really well made or it's noise. Um, and good noise. I mean, noise is noise. If you want to hear that noise, that's up to you. Um, you find beauty and melody in it, and also up to you as well. 
But Satan itself, as I said, so we are using Satan more and the devil and the dark side to sell records more and more. The more and more records that come across my desk for Metal Roofs are when I'm doing the review um, teams, you know, I've got, I have to sort of sort out the albums that come through for the albums team to review. Um, 95% of them are, and I've been really mean on it, 95% of them are extreme black metal albums with um, extreme um, imagery and um, lyrical content. And I, and I don't know if I'm going to say this, but it does get a little bit boring. And I think... It, you know, we are overusing Satan in, and I keep using the word Satan. We are overusing the devil and the dark side of music a lot at the moment. Maybe that's the malaise of the world. Maybe that's the way that, um, the, the way that we're thinking. Or maybe I'm just being, you know, a tad um, demonstrative with the, with the thinking about it this way. I don't know. Um, but as I said, selling Satan is like selling sex. In the heavy metal and heavy rock community, it's the easiest thing to do. Um, some of the best albums of the last 10 years, for me, have been not related at all to the dark side of music or life, um, to be fair. A couple have been there. Of course, they have. I mean, there's some crackers out there. But I just feel that it's sort of, um, we're overdoing it. And um, we sort of, it, I think we're losing as a genre, as a as a musical genre of a force. I think itself is going to lose ground and lose um, uh, lose its lose its audience base if we just keep going down the same route. All right, it's why, to some extent, it's why punk sort of died because of the political because of the political environments changed so thus the punk movement changed um, I think the same with heavy rock you know heavy rock um, died away because uh, we sort of moved into that pop electronic era that's now died and is moving towards um, you know the sort of um, everything in the bedroom ethos that punk had but we're just out of a computer so the little to no musical talent needed um and i think metal is very diverse it's extremely diverse i don't see it ending up you know dying i guess but the i think we are going to go down a cul-de-sac we can't get out of um down an alleyway for, you, for people that know what a cul-de-sac is um uh, down a blind alleyway with no return because We'll get to the end, there'll be a steep wall, and we're like, okay, we've got to climb this, we won't have the tools to do it, because all we know is that is the one thing. We need more diversity in it. And I think it doesn't mean you don't you don't make right songs about the devil and Satan and demons and all those sort of things. I think they make some very interesting um, pieces of entertainment, and, and, and in the moment you need them to be in. Like, but... I think the time has come that we need to sort of um, set him aside, give him a rest. I think, you know, um, I'm sure there's other things that we can write about. Um, it might come down to the fact that um, writing that kind of music is not easier, because I shouldn't say that, because no music 
is easy to write or make. I don't want to belittle anyone's ability, but it's a little bit simpler in the fact that, you know, when Maiden writes Empire of the Clouds, which is like 15 minutes long, when they write, you know, when, um, um, you know, Deep, uh, Deep Purple's last album had, you know, some nine, ten minute tracks on it. There were creations of high of art, whereas I think that some of this sort of um, in-your-face coldness, uh, aggressiveness, which is, you know, there. I mean, it's there. It's a way of releasing your energy. It just gets a little bit one-dimensional. Um, and so Satan, you know, we will keep, I'm sure he will, he will keep um, filling the record shelves with his imagery and his, um, uh, and his uh, stories because the devil writes the best tunes. Um, and I, for I'm for one, thankful for that fact. Um, I don't believe in um, said horned one, um, but um, I do believe in uh, that. That so as as John Lydon put it, anger is an energy, and so you know we are we are using energies, or you know we're creating music with. Anger, which is an energy, which they're just so instead of just shouting a political message, because not you, you know, straight away that's going to not sell your record. To be honest, um, we'll put um, Beelzebub on it, we'll put Satan on it, we'll put uh, Lucifer on, whoever, whichever, we'll put him on there, and suddenly I can, I can um, use my anger at the government and and at life, and I can turn it around um, into a lyrical content that is still powerful. Um, and still telling that same story, but using a different image that people, all people can relate to that is not segregating their audience uh, politically. Um, I think that's another way of looking at it as well. Um, now, I'm coming to the end of this side now. Um, I hope you did enjoy that brief chat about how I feel that we are, you know, what Satan is, what we're doing with, with him in music, um, where he stands, why he's there. I think, you know, again... You might have got my gist that I think is slightly overused to some extent. Um, uh, I'm going to keep myself in the foot there, aren't I? Because I'm going to come out probably in a few weeks' time and review an album that's probably a, a black metal album. As I said, it's not about saying stop doing it. I just think that we can, within the medium, we can do more interesting things. We can um, write about ancient gods like, you know, Dead forgotten gods, Celtic gods, Roman gods, Greek gods, um, you know, uh, whichever religion you're in, there will be a dark side to it. I think that would be better than just sticking some horns on a goat and sticking on the front of the cover and inside an inverted um, pentagram. I'm just saying, all right? Anyway, so on to side two, where I have got some interesting stories, not music related. Um, so if you want to turn off now, it's up to you. Otherwise, please don't. Um, stay in and have a listen. I've got maybe two. If I can get three stories in the time I've got, I will. I've got so many of them. Um, anyway, I have told them before on another podcast, on a haunted podcast that I do, did a little while ago with um, a, friend, a friend in the UK. But this is my option to tell you on my podcast. So uh, enjoy the ads. Uh, get yourself a fresh cup of tea. Put the lights on. Um, hope you're not alone, and if you are, um, just put the TV on maybe, some, some noise in the background, because this may give you the give you the spooks. I'd like to say I'd give you the willies, but that might people might tell that the wrong way. Anyway, talk to you soon after the adverts, mate. Bye, guys.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back guys to part two for some ghost stories a la Tony Evans and his lifelong experiences. Okay, I'm going to start um, from the beginning, alright? Are you, are, you, are you sitting comfortably? Alright, so I shall begin. Have you got your drink? So growing up, um, yeah, I grew up in a in many houses in the UK. Um, the one I grew up the most of, though, was... Uh, uh, I won't give the name of the street, number of the street, but it was in Hendon uh, on Park Road. Oh, and I'll give you the park, park Road, okay? I won't give you the number. It was a corner house and uh, in North London. And it was... We moved there in 76? Maybe 74? No, 76. Um, and... Nothing really ever felt right. I grew up there in my teenage years and then through to my late, uh, very early 20s, late teens. And nothing ever was right in that house, okay? Um, you know, my father was quite successful. Um, we had, you know, at that time I had um, three brothers and one on the way, uh, a younger brother on the way. And 
um, you know, we moved in there because we'd had some unfortunate circumstances. My brother, Ronald, being a plonker that he was, he he um, he blew the house up. Basically, <laughs> he um, went looking for a gas leak with a match. I'm surprised he's still alive. Anyway, I fell through several floors. My cot went through several floors, and my brother rushed into a burning house and saved my life, which isn't you know something you don't hear about that often, which is a wonderful thing to know about. Um, Anyway, we moved to this house because um, at the time we couldn't afford a new house. So the government gave us the, it's like a council house or a government house or whatever you like to call it in whatever country you're in. Um, and it, it, um, I, I vividly remember things just going downhill. Dad losing his businesses and work, mum getting very sick, um, brothers arguing, um, you know, money, money would not, dad couldn't get loans, um, it was just horrendous, always cold, even in the heat of summer, it was horrendously cold, um, I, the first experience I had, um, in that house, was lying in bed, uh, my mum, dad couldn't afford, um, good beds, so we got these bunk beds that were cut in half, they were metal ones, if you remember from the 70s, it was sprung, they had a sprung, Brung sort of base and the mattress went on top. My dad hacksawed them in half, um, which I used, to ca- I used to catch myself on the end of them all the time. Um, lying in bed and it was a sunny day, I remember. And I, we had a, on the wall opposite me was a poster of Bruce Lee. It used to be these magazines you used to get, the Kung Fu magazines. It folded out to be a poster. And brother had that on his wall opposite us. And it was our mum and dad's old room because we needed the room to put three kids in. Um, it was just a three-bedroom house, and um, I woke up, and at the end of my bed, standing at the end of my bed, and I'm not, I'm, people might say, oh, you were dreaming, Tone, but I absolutely remember this like it was, it was vivid like it was yesterday, standing at the end of my bed was this, I would only say seven foot tall, because he was, head was bent over to get into the, under the ceiling, hunched, he was a clown, and it wasn't um, the it clown or scary clown. It was just a clown that kept staring at me in a really aggressive way. It did not feel good. And I remember I couldn't scream. And it was sunshiny. Um, I would have been about seven, maybe. And um, it was... A, it, I, it could have been a week. It must have been a weekend because mum and dad were home. And it just... It felt like an eternity. And then I blinked. And it was gone. Now I never saw that again, and I'm not. And it could have been a fever dream. I could have been asleep. But for me, why would I remember a dream that vividly from 30, you know 42 years ago, almost 43 years ago now? Um, it's just I can see I can see the sunlight. I can smell the mattress and the blankets. I can even see the the the, hate, the dust in the shards of light through the net curtains, and how vivid he was. Or it was, but that wasn't the end of it in that house. I saw, um, I used to have this dread um, about. We had a cupboard at the end of the stairs, and uh, so we went down the stairs. And the end of the stairs, at the bottom before you turn left to go into the lounge room, there was a larder. Now in the UK, in some old houses, they had a larder, which is a cold room where you put your milk before you had fridges. Okay, because I grew up in a an old Victorian house, um, and. Uh, it was really, really horrible. Oh, Victorian, maybe post. Uh, I think it was sort of nineteen and 
on the border of the 1800s and 1900 build. Anyway, um, I never could go past it. I had to run past it. I couldn't bear. It. There was something emanating from that room, that little room, that just gave me such horrible sensations, even um, as an older child, even an adult. Um, was was terrible. Um, I the, the first apparition though that I actually saw was in that house. Um, I was on my own. Michael, my brother Michael, had gone out to work. Ronald at that time, um, I think, had left. hadn't He'd left, he'd moved out of home. Robert was younger and probably downstairs playing in the lounge room, and Andrew was at work. And um, I came out of my bedroom and above my bedroom door. I, luckily, when I turned like 12, I could get my own bedroom, which was sharing with my brother Andrew anyway. Um, was the loft, right? So in the UK, you have lofts, um, so it's like a space above, or attics, the Americans like to call them. Um, anyway, it had a little trap, and that was a blue painted trap door. Um, there wasn't a ladder to get up. To get up, you had to climb up. It was always difficult and tricky. If you were uh, agile like me, you could climb up on the banisters, and away you go. Um, or you've got a ladder. Um, unlike those American ones where they seem to pull down a ladder and it comes down and you go into the loft space. That's a clever move, but not with us. And the quite often that trap was not covering the not covering the hole because um, my brother had been up there doing something or um, because it was stuff, we kept stuff up there. And I walked past and it was, I remember it because it was quite early in the morning. And something made me look up. And as I looked up, there was a pair of legs dangling through the manhole. And they were jeans and shoes on nondescript clothing. Um, oh, sorry, my gardener. The gardener, my gardener, I'm a posh. The gardener of the complex is mowing, so if you can hear the noise behind me, I apologise. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, these legs were there. And I looked up and I showered out. Michael's, because I thought if it was Mike being a dickhead and they pulled themselves back up into the loft space and that was the last I heard of it and I just assumed it was Michael I thought whatever and I went downstairs and did my thing and went out to play in the garden or with mates, play football when I got back that day I remember asking Mike what he was doing in the loft and he said no I'd gone early because my brother was to be a a, a, a janitor of school and he went really early to do stuff because I wasn't there and I told him what I saw so Michael not being very brave like me at that time we climbed up into the loft space and there was nothing there nothing there okay just the crap and the dirt and the shit and the Christmas decorations basically um, and so from there on in I couldn't again I would if I walked past that hole I would look down I couldn't look up couldn't look in the space. It was just a horrible place, to be honest with you. Um, and it, I think a couple of old ladies had died there previously or something. And it got worse when my brother renovated one of the bedrooms. He pulled all the cupboards out and the activity got worse. Um, things would go missing. Like I had, a, I put, and, I, and this is the truth, and all this is true to me. You may not believe me, it's always is true. I put down this little cap gun ring of caps on the table in front of me in my bedroom. There's no carpets. We had floorboards, wooden, right? I turned to get the gun. I come back. It's gone. Just gone. Not there. Couldn't find it. You know, and I looked everywhere. And Dad would lose money. 
uh, mum lost jewellery, um, just, you know, the only, uh, the only thing that was slightly odd was that the, the pets never seemed a problem, although Bruno, my dog, didn't like, didn't like going upstairs, so that might have been something, although the cats never really seemed to be bothered, but most of the time they were outside during the day, night time anyway. Um, that's the first, and my mother had a visa, it was of Eastern European um, heritage, and she has had a very, always had a very sick, strong sixth sense, and never liked the house, hated it. Um, Dad, who was sort of a bit of a, you know, you know, typical man of the time, um, didn't take any notice, and we just lived there. It was meant to be an in-between house, but we ended up living for 27 years. It is what it is. Um, you know, it was never really, never could grow anything in the garden, it would always die, um, you know, apart from the occasional pets, most, we didn't last very long, um, you know, anyway, that aside, I moved out, and, oh no, sorry, no, I'm going far too ahead, far too far ahead, so the next one that's, that sticks with me, this is the one that is, uh, oh, there's two, but this is one of my favourites of, of my experiences, um, this one's more. This one is more detailed. Okay, guys. So, I used to work at Canon Cinema, Hendon Central, which you, which was the old. Um, before then was the ABC. Um, it was a theatre as well. So in the twenties and thirties, you would have uh, Monday to Friday, you would have movies, and then on the weekend they would take the screen up, and they'd have a theatre stage behind, and they would have musical. And often, um, in the heyday of it, you got both. You got a meal, uh, the Lion's Tea Room, which was next door. You had your, um, you had your movie, and you had a, a, a musical or comedy act or something. So you got a lot of money for your entertainment for your money, um, because it was the best way of keeping each other, keeping people morale up. Okay. Now I started working there when I was sixteen, and. Um, Right from the go, I walked into the um, into the building. I'd gone there many times as a kid, but when you start working there and you're behind the scenes, things felt weird. Okay, um, the first m- major example that happened to me was I was it, they used because it used to be an old theatre. There wasn't you know, like special doors that locked themselves. You could get in easy from the outside, right? So the job was to go down after the movie, everyone had left the movies and walk down the, these horrible um, sort of orange tiled, um, dingy circular staircases that were, and um, dimly lit and go to the bottom. And there was the push bar doors, like fire exits, and we had to put chains around the doors and padlock them. Okay, that was the job. Um, and, you know, I'd. I would always do Cinema One because Cinema One was the big one and I was the youngest and they'd send me down there. And off I'd go and I'd toddle off down. And the first, you know, every I'd, every night I would run down there. I would chain it and run back up. It never felt really good in that exit on the left-hand side of the stage. It was a big stage, um, Cinema One in Hendon Cinema. It was like a big stage in the, the screen, just back off it, because it was the old heyday from the stage, right? 565 seats. And um, I was down there this night, and um, I think it was a weekend. And on a, halfway down the stairs, I started smelling cigar smoke. 
like pipe smoke or cigar smoke. I thought, oh, well, obviously someone's been down there smoking. Uh, when the movie was on, well, they didn't have to because when I started back in the, you know, in the good old days or bad old days, you could smoke in the cinema. So I was, I was there locking up, and the back of the hairs on my neck went up, and I turned round, and I didn't see him completely, but there was a half a figure. Now, when I say half figure, I mean it was like his legs and his top half. I mean, as the as the wall went round the corner to circle the stairs to go up. Um, he was sort of leaving behind me, going like going up the stairs around the corner, and he stopped. I, could, I remember just seeing a grey um, boiler suit and a little cat, like half of a cat. Didn't see his face, didn't see hair, nothing, just the sides of him. And I said, and I remember shouting out, "Mate, you know we're locking up down here. If you want to go out, we've got to go out through the main exit now." Sorry. And I'm 16. I'm fast. I'm nimble. You know, away nothing. I sprint up the stairs after him. He's not there. Now, there was no way on God's earth, because you still had to go another two flights, um, and they were quite steep flights, to get back to the main exit, main theatre. Um, he wasn't there. And I thought, well, okay, well, just faster than me. I must have been slower. I've gone and done a locked exit too, and I come back into the foyer, and I saw the, t- the manager, manager, Mark, and I said to him, you know, um, do you see anyone come past you? He's like, no. And I said, well, there, there's, there was certainly someone I saw and shouted at. And he he acknowledged me because he stopped and then he went off. Oh, okay, so we went looking around, looked in the toilets, looked in all the exits. And then we went, okay, we'll bugger him. If he's hiding somewhere, we'll lock him in. Um, and we just shut the doors and went home. Next day, Ron, the old projectionist, um, he... Uh, I was chatting to him. I said, oh, did you, you opened up this morning. Um, did you let, you let anyone out? And I, he said, no, no one came past me. And I explained to him. Now, Ron had been working there since the 60s. And I, I explained to him what I saw. And honestly, the blood in my body went cold because he said, oh, that's... And he did, I couldn't tell you the name now. It was too long ago. But he meant, he said, yeah, that's the projectionist from the, back in the 60s. When I started working there, he hung himself in, in exit one from the pipes and if you go in there well it's probably not there I think it is there there's a gym now um, you go into exit one and there are very sturdy pipes that, that go along the roof of exit one and, and if you if you use a ladder you could do easily do that to yourself um, so you know and Ron said that he'd seen him uh, and, and Ron had this sort of very weird smile and he gla- his eyes glazed over and he I remember because he used to love cheese and onion sandwiches which I do as well to be honest with you but he always loved his cheese and onion sandwiches and um, and he had this thing with his son because his son was in the army and they would do a sort of an Inspector Clouseau thing where um, his son would hide and when he came home he'd go and attack him <laughs> oh god the days well, he's probably long gone Ron's long gone now that was 30 odd years ago and Ron was in his 60s then um if you're still alive, Ron, good on you. I'm sure you'll be, you're probably not, though. Anyway, that was the first time, okay? So then I wouldn't go down exit one. Um, I would only go down... Um, I would try and do anything I could not to go down there. Um, if I went down there, I'd run down there and run back very quickly. And often I wouldn't lock the... I would just chuck the chain down the bottom. I got in a lot of tra- trouble for that. Um, and, you know, over time, six months maybe, I sort of 
didn't see him again and didn't think much of it. Um, but then we've got this rather large spate of, of activity happen. I then decided to stop being just working in the front of the house and was going to be a projectionist. I thought, oh, I'll do that because there's good money in that and it's constant work and that's what I thought. Anyway, I was at college. I was at art college at the time, so it was just making me give me extra cash, and I could work later hours and get to work later, and so on. Anyway, um, one of my other jobs was obviously a job spot, a dog's body. I was put the put the posters out, uh, and we had a, a back room where we kept all the posters, and where the old chandelier used to be, because it's still in the lot in the space. They pulled it up, and, and there used to be a lovely big chandelier. It's up in the roof space. It's probably an antique worth a fortune now, um, and. There was a little trap door at the other end of the this sort of windy corridor that used to give me the willies. I couldn't even, there was a little light above it. And I had dreams. I used to have these vivid dreams that I was um, had to go through there and climb through that trap door to get out the other side. And it was being chased by something unseen. It was really horrible. Anyway, that, like that blue door in my old house, something about it just didn't it feel right. But I was getting posters um, and the lights went off. I had a little light and the lights went off pitch black. Okay, oh god, it's let me you know this place is falling apart. And I, you know, I put the light back on, get another post, the light would go off, get on, light would, and it would this happened maybe half a dozen times. At this point, I've got the feeling that someone doesn't want to be in me in there, so I grabbed my posters and I ran out. Now the the door to that little room was next to the office, and I remember hearing my manager scream. Okay, I'm literally blood curdling scream. Because I then rushed to the door, it had a little light above the door, and it said "manager." I knocked on it, and he opened up, really like ashen-faced. Um, at this time, it was a new manager. It was um, it was an Indian manager. And he was ashen-faced, and he said something just something. Now, usually he was it was something. He said something just walked through the wall, and through the other wall. I saw it in a glimpse, and the lights went off. And I was like, well, okay, the lights kept going off next door. And I explained to him my situation I'd seen in the stairwell maybe six months previously. And he started getting really, really edgy. Now, um, his faith, he was Hindu. Um, no, he wasn't. He was um, Sikh. Um, he didn't seem to be too fussed um, by it. Like, I mean, it upset him, but I don't think he sort of like, being not Christian... And I don't know what I don't know. Sorry, anyone who seek listens, I don't know what your beliefs are. But he said to me that it, it, like it's just what it is, right? He scared him at the time, but he got over it. Um, and he never had a, too much of a problem. But he was always drunk anyway. That was, shouldn't disperse a man, but he was always drunk. Um, he liked a big bottle of, of, of brandy at night, Mister Dooley. Um, anyway, um, that went off, happened. Um, but that same week um, both myself and two others two African workers they were African they were from Nigeria they were they were um, just working in the like selling selling the drinks and the, and the snacks and stuff saw chains on three front of the doors independently rattle themselves now there was no heavy traffic it wasn't a main road but these are massive doors big glass doors and they just went like it was like um it wasn't like a rattle all at the same time it did it one at a time in order as if someone was going past and checking them um this to say that you know 
if I could have worked somewhere else, I probably would have done. But at the time, it was all I could do, and I just had to deal with it. And it, I must admit, I was there. Were, we we basically left um, and shut the door and didn't and didn't go back. Like we didn't. We, it was the end of the night anyway. We were closing up. We didn't even bother. We didn't. I don't think we turned to look behind us. I think we just ran out. Um, and then another incident um, occurred with Colin. Now Colin was a projectionist there. And we 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 were watching we'd we'd um we we were it was a what movie was it it was some like Hand Rock the Cradle I think maybe could have been Hand Rock the Cradle was on and we thought we'd watch it why not let's watch it um through we on our own we can do it. it's late night everyone's left it was like eleven o'clock at night and we were sitting in the main cinema watching this movie and I'm, again this is the truth that I know and my truth okay. Exit door one opened, and I don't mean fully opened, it moved. There's no draft, it's a heavy door. It moved about four inches, maybe five, inwards, and then exit door about ten seconds later moved the other direction, as if something had come out through one and gone out through number two. Both both Colin and I looked at each other, and we were a bit sort of like, okay. I'd explained to him I'd had these experiences previously. Now, the projection room upstairs is quite horrible. It's on top of the building. It's a dark corridor outside. It's not a nice place to be, to be honest with you. It was always a horrible sensation there. Um, and we both, in a weird way, simultaneously turned and looked. And then we looked, and I am not kidding you guys as listeners, I looked and looking out of the little window next to projection projector so that where the objections looks out to see if the sound of the picture is okay was a nondescript face in a flat cap now needless to say colin and i both saw that and we both hightailed and run we didn't turn it off i i got an absolute i got a warning um colin got a warning because when the manager came in the next morning everything was on he could you know those bulbs they blow they, they don't just turn off um, there's a lot of damage, but it was there was no way on God's earth you were keeping me in that building. You just weren't going to. Uh, I'm I'm not scared. Look, consequently, like this, guys, they don't scare me. The paranormal doesn't scare me. I wasn't terrified, and it was going to hurt me or anything. It's just when you're in that moment, when it's so hyper unreal and so, um, needlessly, it's terrifying. Uh, you do. I mean, when I was that young, now I probably would have. When I think about it, I would have gone up there and seen and I'd try and, you know, I would have been more inquisitive, but then I was, these things were happening more and more than they should do um, to me. And, you know, I talked to my mum about it and she said the same thing, that it's been following her all her life. So it was obviously something passed on to me. Um, that's, that's the, several of many that occurred um, in that building. Uh, for me uh, there were other things um which i don't really want to that's for next year let's, let's keep that for next year um i'll talk to you about the most the most recent one well no not the recent one i'll talk to you about the one that i the one that scared me the most because it came close to me and then i'll tell you one recent one i only had about a month ago okay so my karen and i my wife and i we do enjoy um I enjoy particularly, so does Karen, um, visiting dis, uh, disused and uh, derelict prisons, asylums and 
all sorts of things like that. I particularly like colonial architecture, particularly in penal colonial architecture. I know it's very specific, but I really like it. Um, and Australia has some of the best there is. And we were at a wedding up in the Hunter Valley, which is up towards Newcastle uh, way. For you listeners, you can look on a map um, overseas. Uh, and it's a beautiful part of the world. Wineries, um, uh, walking trail, golf courses. It's, really just, it's just lovely. It's well known for his wineries, but my wife and I are not wine, wine people. So we thought, well, okay, we won't do that. Let's go and do something else. So we decided to go to Maitland Jail. Now, Maitland Jail is was just was a prison that had been used for heavy security prisoners for quite some time, probably about a hundred years, um, and it became went out of dis, into, into disuse in 1994. Um, Ivan Malat, the serial killer, was there for a little while, um, and it had a they hung people there. I think eight people were hung there. Anyway, it became a sort of tourist thing for, you know, dark tourism. Uh, you know, you can go and do night tours or you can go and do day tours just to see how our working prisons used to be. So I thought, we'll do it. So Karen and I went and um, we were on our own. Maybe there was another, there was a pregnant woman with her husband or partner before us and a young couple of special needs children with their helpers went through with them as well but basically we're on our own and we took an audio tour luckily put the little cassette you know little mp3 player around your your neck and you listen to the tour as you go around um and you can go honest it's an amazing please i really i, I encourage you if you're ever to go if you're in that other end area of the world to go um because you go there and you can go into the cells you can go in it's basically it's basically free for all. You've got the old prison and the new prison, and you can go around everywhere. You can go where the interrogation rooms, into the washrooms and the kitchens and the cells. Each every cell you want to, you can go into. Obviously, some cells have certain stories. Um, Karen went into one of this particular one, um, which I suddenly started getting really panicky. As you can tell by the stories, I'm pretty in tune. I started getting really panicky, and I started getting out. You got to get out. You got to get out. Because she asked me to shut the door on her, and I couldn't stand it and I said you, you've got to get out so she comes out looking at me all quizzically um, we're in the new, old prison there's three levels now there's no one in there and I mean no one because the others have gone through before us so Karen and I we're on the bottom floor and we're listening to these stories about Aboriginal prisoners and this particular prisoner that spontaneously combusted in his cell and it was quite gruesome and suddenly this massive bang as if a very heavy iron door slammed shut up on the third gantry now we are we both i said let's just um rewind that is on our cassette you know is it on the mp3 it wasn't and chills we, we both of us were like Look, get the exit get the exit and of course we'd gone so far into the prison that there was no easy exit so we had to go back all the way through let's just say we went at pace after that and then we went into that was the old prison and then we went into the new prison and um uh, you know, there's an area called um, uh, Death Alley. Now, it was 42 degrees that day, and it was minus something where we were standing. It was You could feel the energies. Then we went... Um, I went into the, the, the condemned cell, and I got incredible headache, like incredibly severe um, repression. And, and I could feel this horrible sense of foreboding and dread in there um i absolutely couldn't stand it 
um, we came out of there and then we basically finished the tour we went into all these areas I remember we it was just some areas I even couldn't I went to the toilet which was one of the um, uh, visiting room toilets and I couldn't I hated it I, I just it was I just couldn't leave being leaving Karen alone it felt like all these male prisoners were, were peering at her and, and the spirits were so negative as you can imagine right okay and it smelled like it only just been finished users smelled like urine and there was graffiti on the walls it was quite aggressive and some of it was very violent um obviously a lot of it's very violent um and we finished the tour and we had a holiday and we had a great time went to the wedding and you know just a wonderful time came home nothing untoward felt anything after we left the, the prison nothing at all um um or they did walk past a good friend of mine's old house that is haunted, and I did get a sense there was something going on there. It has a big circular stained glass window on the side of it, and it was funny when I said to John and Parksy about that. They both knew they both lived there. Um, I'm not sure if Parksy did. John did. Uh, anyway, nothing happened. Nothing untoward. Now, my kids at the time were in their late teens. Um, and they had night jobs on Fridays. I never used to work Fridays, and um, so I'd be at home. Now the girls would leave to do their their nighttime cafe work, and my wife was out on would often be out on a Friday night. She also had a little sort of casual job, where she was she was studying ship to be a chef, like, just as a sort of sideline bit of fun. And so she had a little bit of work experience in some of the um, a little kitchen. So off she goes. Um, so she hasn't gone yet. So the kids have gone. So they leave about five o'clock, four or five o'clock. I'm on my own. Um, I in the house, and um, I go into the garden. Now I've got a big, heavy sliding back door, and I, you know, I I went into the garden. That lock does not drop. Okay, it can't drop. It's a heavy lock. Okay. Now Gwyn, my youngest, are just about, about to leave to go to work. I see her leaving through the glass door, out through the front door, and off she's gone. Um, I'm picking washing off the line. It's been out all day in the sun. Um, I turn around, and the sliding door completely locked. Right, locked. And I'm thinking, okay, well, it's it's five o'clock. Shit. I thought Gwyn might have locked me in or something, you know, whatever. I thought, well, well it's five o'clock. Karen will be home in ten minutes, and then she'll open the door and I'll come in and she'll go off to work and you know lo and behold Karen comes home we have a laugh must have been Gwyn oh silly me um, but before that before that I'm, I'm sorry I'm si- I am actually sidetracking myself sorry I went ahead of myself so the door's locked um, I look through the glass and when you look down through the kitchen and to my front door is quite a long long passageway and then my stairs up to my second floor are on the left this big black entity and i don't it had no it had no full shape it, i'm getting goosebumps it didn't have arms and legs and a head it was just a very intense blackness this is a sunshiny summer australian day and this is december okay late november early december um and I looked at it for a second. It, it it sort of looked at me. I, I it felt like it was looking at me, and then it turned and it whizzed up my stairs, just straight up the stairs. It just vanished up the stairs. Um, 
I don't know if I took it in. This is the thing. So I wasn't screaming. I, I didn't. I just got this sense of cold and dread. And it just disappeared. And a few minutes later, in comes Karen. Karen comes through the front door, lets me in the house. I don't have real time to... I certainly wasn't going to tell Karen I'd seen this. Um, and I didn't, you know, off she went, got changed. I went, I didn't, I thought it's just my imagination. It's a trick of the light. What the hell was that about? Whatever. I didn't put anything together. But, and this is where it gets really freaky, guys. So Karen's gone off to work. Now I'm on my own in the house. What I was doing that night was I was meant to be painting the stairwell. Some of the stairwell. I thought, I'll do that tonight, you know sandpaper the wall back and I was going to paint the wall um, but I could something happened I, I remember I was at the bottom of the stairs and we've got wooden floors I'm going to do this this noise hear that so a shuffling noise there was a shuffling noise upstairs and a creak and the floorboards creaking and then I heard my bed as if someone sat on it and I run up the stairs, nothing there. I thought maybe the kids, one of the Clem's still home, Gwyn's still whatever, I don't know. Nothing there, nothing. Cupboard doors open, thought, okay, nothing, shut the cupboard door. Went back downstairs, felt a bit, ugh, whatever. Um, and then I got this sense where I couldn't take my eyes off the stairs. I couldn't not look at the stairs, I couldn't go up. This sudden sense of oppression when it got dark. It was when it got dark. So when it was light, there was noise. It got dark and it, everything changed. I couldn't look up the stairs. I couldn't be, I couldn't face away from the stairs. I'm very lucky that I've got a downstairs toilet as well. Um, I couldn't, I put a chair, I put all the lights on and I put a chair, I turned my chair around and I faced the stairs and I couldn't stop looking. Because I thought if I take my eyes off of it, Whatever's upstairs is going to come down. That's how I felt. And I was there all night. It felt like I was stared at for hours. But then it just, when the girls came back, disappeared. There was a sense of lightness again. Um, I didn't feel any oppression. I didn't feel any discomfort. It was like it wasn't there. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, did I imagine this? Is this something that I imagined? And every Friday night... It, when I was on my own, it would start the same way. There would be noise upstairs, and then there was a sense of oppression. And I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't tell the kids because I didn't want to scare them. I couldn't tell Karen, she'd just think I was going mad, okay? It's a brand, you know, house is only 15 years old. It's not haunted house, okay? Not that new houses can't be haunted, but it's not haunted. It just, it isn't. Um, and I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a spiritualist. And she just said, look, something's followed you back from the prison. It's attached to you. It's clearly not bothered about the girls. In fact, they probably scared the, it, keeping it quiet because, you know, so it, was, it was a long time prison. Prisoners probably doesn't know how to interact with women. Um, you need to just stand at the bottom of your stairs when it turns dark, face your fears shout this is not your home please leave you're not invited thank you for staying the way for as long as you have but you may now go and i was like oh whatever this sounds like 
hokum at this point I'll do anything and it got dark and I walked to the stairs and my palms are getting sweaty and I stood at the bottom of the stairs and I said clearly those words and whether it's psychosomatic whether I was going nuts I don't know you know I'd believe these things okay it lifted it felt almost like they were just gone just gone um, I wasn't comfortable no there was some residual energy I felt uncomfortable but not oppressed and certainly not um, I could go up and down the stairs it, and it, you know what it took me a good I reckon six months to a year to feel that I could walk around in the dark in my house again which is something you know um, you, know, you don't want that in your own house do you okay so that was the that's the one that's the, probably the closest one apart from growing up in a house that was you know a bit off that was the one the closest one for me um i've had attachments before but um in small ways um the latest one one that really sort of you know not shook me but sort of shook me because it was daylight and i was i was on the bus on the way to work and the bus turns right on to, from one major road into another major road at a t junction crossroads and there's a two zebra crossings pelican crossings right and there's a lot of space it's it's this is canberra right this is australia spaces aren't small this is a big space okay to cross these roads a healthy man would take a good minute minute and a half okay, at, at good pace to go across all the zebra crossings i was on the bus i looked out the window and i saw this old man and he was i uh, had a sh little shopping bag and he was picking up rubbish off the road, like crisp packets that have been blowing around or whatever. And he was on one of the zebra crossings at the first zebra crossing. So for him to cross all of them and then to go out of my vision in the time it took, he'd have to be an extremely good athlete or a car must have picked him up which I didn't see because there was no cars at the intersection. So what happened was I looked down at my, at my phone to see what, and I changed the track on my, you know, whatever I was doing. And I'm talking seconds because I get off not far from that. So I was getting ready to get off. I wouldn't be in deep into a, a, an email or whatever. I look up, he's not there. He's not there. He's not on any of the crossings. He's no way he's gone into any buildings because there's no buildings around. There's no bushes to hide behind. He's just not there. So for me clearly he wasn't there in the first place um, I went for a run about three or four years ago I was running down the main road and there was an old man running towards me um, again nowhere to run nowhere to hide steep banks on one side of the road major two lane motorway to the other side like four lane motorway to the other side um, I look at my watch I look up he's gone nowhere to go so you know, these sort of things, when I see that, they didn't really scare me because um, it's something I'm used to now. It's only when it's the the oppressive, heavy stuff. I'm sorry, let me just tippy-tappy on my keyboard. Um, oh, that's what you come for. Tip, 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 tap. Hey. Um, uh, yeah. They, they're the, they're, they're sort of ghost stories, aren't they? I mean, they are ghost stories. Um, you know, we used to um, play in an abandoned 
old um, scout hut in the park in Brent Cross, near Brent Cross, where I grew up. Uh, and that also held horrendous um, um, feelings. I remember we, I had an ex-girlfriend of mine, um, took me to her, we shared a friend who who's, was the estate agent who was looking after the house or the flat that Dennis Nielsen, the famous British serial killer, um, uh, lived in and wanted us to take us around that but I couldn't even get in I couldn't go in we turned up it was late at night we had a key couldn't go in I, I had extreme oppression um, my oldest brother was signing on it's another connection with psychic with being psychic was signing on um, and the office that he signed on on Dennis Nielsen worked and Dennis Nielsen asked him to come back to his place and do some painting work for him for cash and my brother being very um, upright said no I can't I'm signing on um, they'll take my doll away from me and I asked him much later when we found out it was actually he told me it was Dennis Nielsen I believe him um, Andrew said he got an extremely bad feeling from him you know so some of it's in my family I hope that um, that hasn't scared you too much I, ho- I hope that you find it fascinating as much as I do um, I p- openly um, enjoy this side of life um, my daughter and I both discuss it quite openly uh, I'm always, always um, on the lookout for more experiences that way. Um, there's one coming up for me to do uh, that I, in the local area. I think I want to deal with, and there's also I want to go. We do have um, reservations to go and stay at the um, Beechworth Asylum in Victoria. Unfortunately, COVID stopped us going back there the last couple of years, but I really can't wait to go and do an investigation there myself. Um, anyway that's my Halloween stories over I'd love to hear any stories you may have um, and look I, as, as, as honest as I'm sitting here guys I'm not lying um, this is my truth my belief my facts you might go oh Tony you're such a lying Hogan shit but it's what I believe in the, when I live those experiences I live them um, and so they're my truth uh, I hate that term my truth it's so wokey isn't it but it is my truth uh if i'd love to hear any experiences you have um uh particularly if they're mu- music related none of those are music related of course one of them was film related i suppose being in uh, the cinema uh, but uh anyway that's enough of my ghost story jibber jabber um i have so many more stories i could fill another hour episode easily with some of my um interesting experiences and encounters um uh you know the 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 night that a a strange french woman um who who, uh, walked me walked along with me um with no shoes on and a a big gash in the side of her head um babbling in french but some reason i can understand every word she said um you know i took a you know i helped to get a wash and get some food and uh it was just anyway that's another i will leave that for another story it is a really interesting one uh, it's one of my um defining moments of my early youth but that's for another day might even bring it up next week if i remember rightly because i'll do a post halloween story maybe who knows anyway i've tantalized you with that story now but i will tell you another time that's it for today um i'm gonna go now and um watch something light and airy 
um, and put on some um, some good old rock and roll just to clear out the atmosphere. Anyway, have a good Halloween. Um, keep safe. Uh, you know, embrace the darker side or embrace the other side of life because it is there, fellas. It is there, guys and girls. It really is. Um, those that open believe. Those that are not don't. Uh, those that, no, so they, I always believe that those that are open will see. Those that don't want to see don't. Very rarely non-believers um, and skeptics um, see that they close themselves off to the energies around them, and they they won't allow them in uh, to their lives, which is fair enough. You know, don't everyone doesn't want to. If we if we could all tap into this, it would be a really boring world, wouldn't it? Anyway, that's enough for me. See you next week, guys. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.